I give praise to you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, for although you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, you have revealed them to little ones. Jesus tells us that God has revealed these things to the little ones. It makes sense, then, that we listen to what we might hear from the little ones around us in our life. Ten years ago, John Drake was here, and he told us about his experiences of listening to the little ones in the Philippines. And I'm very pleased that he's back today to give us a little follow-up report on how things are going. Good morning. Uh, thanks, Father Jim. Ten years is a long time ago, and uh, I can tell you this, I was a little younger then. <clears throat> um, I'm really super happy to be here today for a whole lot of reasons, not just uh, what you might think, but a whole lot of reasons. When I was here ten years ago, a number of you signed up for a place at the table sponsorships with us, and this is an opportunity for me to look you right square in the eye and say thank you. Uh, it makes a big difference, it really helps, and this is an opportunity for me to do that, so I want to say thanks. Um, secondly, um, you guys are regular contributors to us through the Matthew 25 uh, mission, and I want to look you in the eye again and say thank you. Uh, it really helps us a great deal. And another reason I'm happy is this is now the home parish of my kids. Uh, my son Jeff and his family uh, are members here, in fact, uh, three of our grandsons are altar servers, usually at the 11 o'clock mass. Uh, grandson Ben is a reader. Uh, my daughter-in-law, Megan, is the director of religious education here. And Jeff is one of the Sunday school uh, teachers. And so I'm kind of like home again. <laughs> so uh, thank you all. Uh, but that's why it's so great to really be here this morning. Um, a little bit about me, uh, Judy and I, uh, who can't be here today, uh, are members of Queens Parish in Jackson, so we're just down the road. Um, and until a few, well, more than a few years ago, until I retired, I was a senior officer with Consumers Energy, Consumers Power Company, or CMS Energy. You may have heard of us, um, probably. Um, and this was a, during a time when we were expanding internationally we wound up at our peak of having uh, projects in 26 different countries around the world. And um, I was the senior human resource officer, and so what they always did with me is they would put me on an airplane and send me out to wherever we were gonna try to do business to try to figure out how do we work in a country like this? In other words, how do you pay people in a foreign country? Um, you know, what kind of benefits do they have? It's interesting, some countries, they don't actually get paid in money, they get paid in rice. Um, what's the work ethic like? You know, are there unions? Uh, you know, what's, what's the whole situation? So I was the one that had to go figure all that stuff out. And I have to tell you, that was the best job on the planet Earth. In fact, if you go to your dictionary and look up best job on planet Earth, there's a picture of me. Uh, because I loved that job, because I got to go everywhere. Uh, and meet lots of different people. Um, but before you get real excited about that, wishing that you could do it, 
just remember this, they don't build power plants or gas pipelines in beautiful vacation locations. They sent me to some of the worst places on the planet Earth. Um, and uh, so, so it's not all sunshine and, and brightness. But the one thing that I noticed whenever, wherever I went, there always seemed to be a lot of kids. And quite frequently, the kids in these third world countries didn't do very well. Uh, the poverty is just almost overwhelming. And um, it's really heartbreaking a lot of times. And so I kind of looked at it like we were bringing power to the, you know, to the country. And so we were helping them. Uh, but nonetheless, the poverty was overwhelming. If you've ever traveled internationally, you've probably experienced a situation where kids will come up to the car and they tap on the window. Have you ever, have you ever seen that, tap the window? They're hungry. So what do you do? What do you do when you're at an intersection and they're tapping on the, what do you do? Well, what I always did and what I think most people do is you don't make eye contact. Don't, don't look at them. Just don't make eye contact. And I guess psychologically or subconsciously, we think that if we don't see them, then they don't see us. And therefore, it doesn't really happen, okay? And so that's what I always try to do is you just don't make eye contact. But I knew they were there. And I wanted to help them if I could. But I mean, really, what could I do? You know, what could I do? I've got a big job to do. I've got to get home, you know, and so on. So I just didn't make eye contact. Well. Fast forward in time now. It's now February 27th of 2002. Um, CMS Energy decided that we didn't want to be an international energy company anymore. So we're not going to do that anymore. So we're going to sell all of our projects around the world. So John, get on an airplane and go back to all these places where we were doing business and help to do the deal, put it together so that, you know, how are the employees going to be handled and so on. And so uh, that's what I did. I went all around the world again uh, to help put these deals together. And I wound up back on the island of Cebu, Cebu, uh, in the Philippines. Uh, we had run the power plants there. We had three of them uh, for over 10 years. And I had gotten to know the people very, very well because I went back and forth a lot. And uh, so it was kind of a bittersweet moment for me. Uh, I hated to leave them, but on the other hand, I was really anxious to leave the Philippines because I, you know, it was kind of rough. Um, so we were leaving. I had an airplane ticket, and I was leaving the very next day, the very next day, never to return. Um, one of the things that the company always tried to do is when we would do business in a location, we tried to do something for the community kind of as a way of saying thank you for letting us do business there. So what we did is we gave the uh, school system um, 16 computers for the school system network. Well, this was 2002, and while computers were pretty common here in the US, over there, uh, it was pretty new and pretty exciting. In fact, when you added those 16 computers to the school's network, that brought the entire network up to a grand total of 16. Okay, so it was a big deal. It was a very big deal. And the mayor wanted to get a lot of recognition, you know, uh, look at me, I'm bringing technology into our community. So she asked me if I would be willing to go with her to visit the different schools where these computers are going to be placed. Well, I didn't have anything else to do because my flight isn't until the next day, never to return again. So I said, sure, I'll be happy to go. And so it was a great day. We went to all these schools. The kids were singing and stuff. It was really fun. 
And so we're riding along, and the mayor turned around and looks at me, and she says, now, you're the orphan guy, aren't you? Do I look like an orphan? I'm not quite so sure. You know, why would you ask me that? Well, she had checked on me. And she knew that I was interested in street kids and orphan kids. Um, and, and she said, well, the reason I'm asking is because we have a facility here in Toledo City that's in desperate need of renovation. Would you be willing to renovate it and run it for us? Sure. I mean, it's only on the other side of the planet Earth. It's a different language, different customs, different laws, different currency, different. And I'm not even good with kids. And so why would you ask me that? And I didn't know what to do. So I, you know, I, to buy some time, I said, well, why don't you, let's show me what we're talking about. And I'm thinking then I can just tell her no and feel good about it. So she took me to the old Lingap Center, and in the dialect, the word Lingap means something like emergency shelter, crisis center, or to help. Okay. So we went to the old Lingap Center, and what it was, it was a converted pig slaughterhouse. What they had done is they had water supply problems there, and so they took the pigs out because they couldn't process them anymore, and they put street kids and orphan kids in. Now, as awful as that sounds, please remember that it did save a lot of lives. However, that place was without a doubt the most disgusting place I think I've ever been. To get into the front door, which was the kitchen, you had to jump across an open sewer to get in. The kids in, there were 26 kids there that day, and they would sleep two, three, or four to a we'll call it a bed, which were just broken boards with holes in them and stuff. Um, they had uh, a refrigerator, and I opened the refrigerator and I looked inside and there were three Tupperware containers, about this big and this deep. One had chicken, one had rice, one had pork. And I said, well, this is the food for 26 kids for today. And they said, no, that's for the rest of the month. And the kids were all malnourished. They were not healthy. Um, and I said, well, how do they eat? Well, they forage for food. And that means they go out and steal from the neighbors or get fruit from trees or whatever. It was, it was, uh, it was really heartbreaking. Um, and then I found out that the kids were not permitted to go to school. Well, why can't they go to school? Well, because they can't afford uniforms. I guess over there, if you can't afford a uniform, then you can't learn. Okay. But worst of all, I found out they weren't even welcome in the church. How can that be? Why, why is that? Well, because they don't want street kids and orphan kids bothering people when they're praying. Now do they? So they weren't welcome in the church. Well, it was at this point that I made probably the worst mistake of my entire life. And it was a big one. I made eye contact. And what I found was that these kids were just like my own. They were just like these kids here in all respects. They had hopes, they had dreams, they had wishes. They wanted to be ballerinas, they wanted to be firemen or whatever. But the big difference between my kids and these kids was that my kids were going to make it. 
these kids didn't have a chance. They were absolutely at the end of the line. And I also found out that they had names. They weren't just faces on a brochure or like in a television commercial where they see the flies landing on their faces and stuff, those nameless faces. These were real kids. There was Roger, there was Marmy, there was Elicio, Maritas, John Ryan, Eileen. If I get choked up, I'm sorry. But I, every time I talk about it, I mean, there they are. I can't help it. These are real kids. There was a fellow by the name of Bob Pierce who once said, let my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. And I will tell you that on that day, my heart wasn't broken. It wasn't broken. It was absolutely shattered. It was shattered. But what can I do? I mean, really, what can I do? I'm just me. Yeah, I got a big job. I got a family at home and, and stuff. So what I did is I thanked the mayor and I said something stupid like, uh, I'll have my people call your people or something like that. And I knew she would never hear from me again, ever. Okay. And I got on the airplane the next day and I came home. And on the way home, I was thinking about all that I'd seen and I, and I decided, you know, this didn't happen. This is my imagination. It didn't happen. I'm just going to forget it. Gone. It's, it's gone. So whenever I went on one of my big international trips and I got home, Judy would always say to me, she'd say, well, how was your trip? And I would say, oh, it's fine, fine. Did anything happen? Nope. And that's what happened this time. She says, how was your trip? Fine. Anything happened? Nope. But what would happen to me is that I would go to bed and in the night, I would wake up and I would be remembering those, those young faces and those little hives, knowing that they had no hope, no future, and no place to go. And I would start crying. Judy would wake up. She'd say, what's the matter with you? And I'd say, oh, I'm just having a bad dream. Just go back to sleep. Well, this went on for about a year. I think it was Mother Teresa now St. Teresa, who said, God speaks in the silence of the heart, and we listen. So one morning I woke up and I was crying, and Judy said, this has been going on for a long time. What's, what's up? What, what, what's the problem? So I told her. I told her about everything I had seen in all of my travels around the world. I told her about the kids in Pakistan, which you don't even want to hear about. I told her about the little boy at, at the orphanage in Bataan where I had helped out a little bit, where the father poured gasoline on him and put him on fire and then put it out so that he would be like this and they could go around on the streets and say, my baby, you know, begging for money. I told her about some of the stuff that because we have kids here, I won't even talk about. I told her about the kids that lived in the municipal landfill in Manila where they wait for the garbage trucks to come in, they climb up and they gather all the garbage looking for food, they take the food and they cook it on little fires and they call it pug pug. In 2001, there was a garbage slide there uh, and they estimate that over 800 children were buried alive. The name of that landfill in Manila is called Payatas. And in the, in the dialect, the word Payatas means the promised land. Can you believe? I told her all these things. 
And I told her, I said, you know, oh, one other one that, I, that is in India. I ran across children where they intentionally put their eyes out so that they could use them as a blind children's choir. If you've ever seen the movie Slumdog Millionaire, they talk about that, and I've seen that. It's, it's heartbreaking, the stuff that happens to kids. So I told her about all these things, and I said, you know, Judy, I believe that I'm being called. I really believe that I'm being called. But I have absolutely no intention, none, of building an orphanage in the Philippines. But if I'm being called, one day God's going to call me before him, and he's going to say, John, I was calling you. Why didn't you answer? So i got to come up with a pretty darn good excuse because I'm not going to do it. So what I did is I wrote up a business plan, you know, all the things, all the obstacles, and believe me, that was pages and pages long. I've still got it, um, about the reasons why this couldn't happen. And I said, now what I'm going to do is I'm going to go over to the Philippines, and I'm going to check all this stuff out, and I'm going to prove that it can't be done. And at least that way, when I'm called before God, I can say, hey, look, I tried, and I couldn't do it. Okay, so don't worry about a thing. I'll be back in two weeks. So I got on an airplane, and off I went to the Philippines. And when I got there, it really was with God's grace and support that all of the obstacles were overcome, all of them, all of them. And there were many, 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 many. And I'm going to give two quick examples. Uh, one example was I went to the parish priest, Father Raul, and I said to him, Father Raul, you know, the mayor wants me to do this project. Should I do it? Oh, my son, you must do this. Yes, it's so desperately needed. And I says, well, then, what kind of outreach do you have for the Lingap kids or for the street kids, for that matter? And he said, hmm, why none? Why would you ask? And I said, well, Father Raul, I said, uh, I'm nobody, and you're a man of the cloth, but doesn't the Bible mention something about, like, uh, widows and orphans? And he said, this is a quote, Good point. And I said, well, what I want you to do is, I, if I do this project, I want you to go to the Lingap Center at least once a month and do a children's mass. And if you do, I will feed any kid who comes. And he said, we'll do even better than that. We will bring them into the church. And he did. And I'll talk about that in a minute. So, I mean, that was good news for the kids, but that wasn't the answer I was looking for. Because remember, this is my get-out-of-jail-free card. I don't want to do this project. So, I'm, so my, my clincher was I went to the mayor, and I said, well, mayor, uh, I looked this over very carefully, and everything has been resolved except one big one, and as an American, I cannot own land in the Philippines. And that old Lingup Center is so nasty that I would not even burn it, because if I did, you'd have me arrested for polluting the environment. So thank you very much. Uh, I'm out of here. Have a nice life. And she says, John, wait, please. We will give you the land. And I said, oh. <laughs> OK. So I got on an airplane, and I came home. Judy says, how was your trip? And I said, oh, fine, fine. Did anything happen? No. Nope, nothing. I said, but the good news is I'm not being called anymore. And she said, well, that's good. I says, yeah, I'm not being called anymore. I'm, I'm on assignment. We're going to build us an orphanage in the Philippines. And she said, uh, okay, how are you going to pay for it? Oh, that's the one thing I left off my list. I don't know. 
I don't know. And I said, well, maybe we'll sell the house. And she said, okay. She really did. Now, everybody asked me, did you sell the house? No, we didn't have to, thank heavens, but it was certainly on the table. But since that day, we built a new facility that's capable of handling up to 132 kids. We opened the new building in 2006, March of 2006. And since then, we've had 752 children who have gone through the facility. All of the kids are in school, all of them, it's mandatory. And uh, education over there is not mandatory, but at the Lingop Center, it absolutely is. And I was there just last week. And when I was there, we celebrated with our 41st college graduate. So we've had 41 college graduates so far, and we've got more in the pipeline. I mentioned the church. Um, Father Raul was true to his words, and he brought the kids into the, into the church. Our kids are now the altar servers. We are the official church choir, and they're really good. Now let me explain that. They are really good. I mean really good. In fact, they're so good that in 2016, they were invited to be part of the um, choir that sang at the International Eucharistic Congress in Cebu City that year. Sadly, it was the first year ever that the Pope couldn't be there, but there were cardinals and bishops and priests from all over the world, and the Lingap kids were in the front row. How is that possible? How is it possible that the outcasts in that community are now the ambassadors of goodwill to the world? How is that possible? It's only possible because we responded to God's call. That's the only explanation. I'm always talking to the kids about, you know, helping others is the greatest gift that you can give to yourself. You know, help others. And the Philippines is one of the most typhoon-prone countries in the world. They have on average like 25 or 26 typhoons a year, big ones. And one year there was a terrible typhoon. A lot of people died on the island of Luzon. And the kids came to me. They had formed a little committee. And they came to me and they said, Tito John, we would like to send three bags of rice to the, to the victims, the typhoon victims uh, in Manila. Now the bags of rice they're talking about are 100 pound bags, they're big. And as you might expect, food is one of our biggest budget items. And I said to the kids, I said, oh, I think that is just absolutely wonderful that you are more concerned for those, you know, uh, those people that I'm just so proud of you. Um, but I'm sorry, we barely have enough food here for you. And so I'm sorry, we, we just can't do it. So they turned around to each other and they said, see, I told you he'd say that. We knew you'd say that. And so don't worry about it. We'll pay for it. So I said, fine. How are you kids going to pay for those three bags of rice? And they said, we will pay for it by not eating. So what do you say to that? So we sent the rice to Manila and I didn't make the kids pay. But what a lesson I learned. What a lesson I learned. That those who, who have nothing <clears throat> are more concerned for those less fortunate than themselves. 
What a lesson I learned. You know, I have everything. I have everything. And yet these kids who have nothing, will, it, it just, the book of Galatians, <clears throat> chapter 6, verse 9, says, and I quote, <clears throat> Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Well, I'm here to tell you <clears throat> that the Lingop kids are clearly better off as a result of the Lingot project. They've got futures now. They've got life. You know, they're, you know, they're, they're doing well because of this project. But the big winner in this whole thing has been me. I have reaped a harvest far greater than ever, anything I could ever possibly have imagined. How is that possible? It's only possible because we responded to God's call. Um, this is a mission appeal, and uh, if you want to join us, um, there's uh, some envelopes. I put them at the end of the pews. Um, if you write a check, it should be made out to St. Michael's, and then you can just drop it in the box in the back. Um, a little bit about the Lingop Children's Foundation. Um, we are a 501c3 organization, uh, but because I believe so strongly in what we're doing, the board of directors and I personally pay all administrative expenses so that 100%, 100% of everything that we receive goes directly to the benefit of the kids. Um, if you want more information, there is a, uh, I did put some brochures like this at the entrances. Uh, grab one if you want. Uh, in there, there's a little bit of information. We have a sponsorship program uh, that you could look at if you were interested in. Or see me in the back after Mass, and I'll be happy to talk to you about it. And in closing, I'm just going to close it with a, a little poem that I think sums up my story very well. And it goes like this. On the street, I saw a small child cold and shivering in thin clothes with little hope of a decent meal. I became angry and I said to God, why did you permit this? Why don't you do something about it? For a while, God said nothing. And that night he replied quite suddenly, I certainly did do something about it. I made you. Thank you all very, very much. Thank you, John, for coming and sharing the story of the Lingap Orphanage in the Philippines. And there's two collection baskets in the back. Uh, the one is our Sunday offertory. So 5% of that uh, goes to our Matthew 25 designated charity. And this week, it's the Lingap Foundation. So that'll be on, on the basket uh, on the right. And then in the other basket, and you can see the uh, uh, labels on top of it. It's, it says Lynn Gap, and then if you put these envelopes in there, uh, that will go 100% then to uh, to the Cooperative Mission Appeal to support Lynn Gap, and then um, yes, and checks can be made out to St. Michael. That way, uh, your your offering can be credited for you that way. But then then we'll put one big check. will go onward. So uh, please do pray for John. Pray for. The children pray for the staff and and all those who help the children at Lynn Gap as as well as throughout the Philippines and, and in all the developing world.